0: A wise man builds his life on Jesus' instructions, like a house built on a solid foundation. By tuning in today, you are pouring into your life. This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. At times, I've modified my answer trying to find a response that doesn't elicit so much awkwardness, odd looks, and funny cracks in responses. Oh, must be nice to only have to work once a week. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I (laughs) said, Well, what do you do? I I help people with questions about life and death. That's the one that answer I'd I'd come back to oftentimes. So you like marry and bury people? Yeah, full service, cradle to the grave. Full service. She like, you, you talk to Jesus and stuff. Yep, red phone right next to my bed. Pick it up anytime I want, and Jesus is right there. You think you could do something about the weather? I get that one a lot. It's, nah, you want management for that, I'm in sales. <laughs> It's the marrying and the burying part that I've found so interesting over the years. And I have to be honest that in my years of ministry, I've learned to appreciate funerals a whole lot more than weddings. Funerals, you can, you stand there and you cry with people and you pray with people and afterwards they're so thankful and appreciative and pleasant Weddings now, there's like a bridezilla thing where they have this Cirque de Soleil vision of their wedding that they've developed since they were two years old and and they will sit down and like the preliminaries like i want to have ribbon dancers and where there's going to be a choreographed dance that happens down the aisle and halfway through i would like and this is, i'm just you know just writing stuff down right like i'm not going to do any of this but still and then and then there's going to be this moment where there's tribute music from my favorite rock band and my great grandma's going to come up and she's going to read a poem while doves do a choreographed dance above my head Great. Great. A wedding is three things. If you've never done a wedding, you've been asked to participate in a wedding. A wedding is three things, okay? It's simple. He says her, she says him, God goes one. That's it. That's it. Did you miss it? Like, I can do a wedding in 10 seconds. Because he says her, she says him, God goes one. Sometimes uh, someone like me will be there, like an informal referee, just, or, or like the guardrails on a bowling lane, just to kind of make sure that the ball gets down the lane to where it's supposed to be, and we use good words. and we kinda, But for the most part, he says her, she says him, God makes them one. That's a wedding. That's a wedding. One of my favorite parts, though, is this part. The ring. I do like to slow down at that part and say, may I have the rings? And I'll, I'll put the rings in my hand. His ring and her ring. And I'll have them look at the rings. And Even if you're married or you have someone around ask for their wedding ring. Just so you can look at it. Okay, but, and I say, let's look at it. You see how it's it's made of precious materials because what you're doing is precious, it's valuable. Do you see how it's this unending circle because the commitment that you're making is an unending commitment of love, of relationship. And I say this ring is a symbol of what you're about to do. Now, putting the ring on does not make you married nor does taking the wedding ring off make you not married. Sometimes I look at the guys real hard at that point. This is a symbol of what your marriage is to be. We've been talking a lot about symbols as we've been working through the book of Revelation because it's all about symbols. It's all about these, these images that John puts forth to help us grasp something bigger that's beyond it. And so for the last, this week and the next couple weeks coming up, we're going to finish up the book of Revelation. We took a little break, but now we're going to move into chapter 19, and it's all about marriage as a symbol of what God is going to do in time to come. So if you would take out your notes, Uh, they'll be helpful as we fill some things in together. If you're watching online, our hosts will help you locate those so that you can uh, track with what we're doing. But because Revelation was about four weeks ago, let me review just a little bit just to help us out. Okay, John is writing to help Jesus' followers who are facing complacency and or persecution. Persecution, standing for your faith, being a good witness. But many of the Christians that John was writing to were just facing complacency. How do you hold fast to Jesus in the culture that you're in? So in many respects, the challenges that they were facing are similar to the challenges that we're facing. How do to I to be faithful in living out an ordinary faith in my ordinary life? To, to awaken them, he uses these vibrant images, these HD stereo surround sound images to capture our imagination, to draw us into God's story. Images of violent beasts and local lackeys immersing us, helping us see that the world that we're in is part of a greater reality that God is working us towards, a plan of restoration. Before Christmas, right before Christmas, we reached this climactic moment where Babylon the Great was undone and destroyed. And we said that Babylon could really be any empire. And it has been over the millennia. It's just a symbol that John uses. Back in John's day, he was talking about Rome. There are times throughout human history where you could have talked about any evil empire or system that works to dominate violently those that are around them to take control. And now we finally get to the exciting part of the book of Revelation, the Great Resolution, 19, 20, 21, where John's going to zoom us in and zoom us back out again. And it's exciting. How many of you wear corrective lenses to help you see? Some of you. Some of you, yeah. Some of you, like, hide, hide your corrective lenses by putting them right on your eyeballs. I will always wear corrective lenses. When you have a head like mine, you need as much augmentation, design help that you can possibly get. Because, really, it's just a cue ball when you take these off. It's just a round, white cue ball. Yeah, I got a fellow white cue ball in the back. Yeah. So I need something that kind of dress this bland mess up. But what the lenses do, the lenses correct my vision. It help me see clearly. Without these, things get real fuzzy in the back. When I put these on, they correct what I see. Can we understand that? But can we also understand the inverse of that idea? If a lens can correct your vision, is it possible to have a lens that distorts your vision? Is it possible to look through lenses that distort what you're seeing? I mean, these lenses are fine. If I were to put on my wife's lenses, her prescription's different, drastically different, and it would distort what I see. John is a, a political writer and a prisoner and he's, he wants to correct the distortions of the Roman propaganda machine that the church is dealing with. All about holding up the emperor as the son of God and the greatness of Rome. Rome will save you. You need Rome. And John writes in such a way to help the church take off these distortions, to see Jesus clearly you see the world through a lens you see the world through a frame it comes via your experience it comes through the news that you watch do you do you have a friend or a loved one that watches a different news feed than you do you, ever find it, you find it interesting that sometimes you, maybe you're not friends anymore because Christmas has happened and, and you found out that they see the world differently than you do. I don't know. They see things differently. The information that you bring in, the information that they bring in, shapes and turns the frame differently, and the lenses are different. Your lenses will either correct or distort your vision. So with that in mind, let's make sure that we're seeing well. Especially as we go into 2021. So let's journey together. The, the, these last next three Sundays, we're going to finish up the book of Revelation. And to help us do that, I need us to have a vision of marriage. Because that's what we're going to see and hear about in chapter 19 of, of Revelation. You have a view of marriage. You have a lens that you see marriage, right? It's a a Western cultured lens. It's birthed on experience and it comes through Hollywood and that's how you see marriage. Here's the problem. It's really not the way the Bible describes marriage or puts forth marriage. So we need to put on a biblical view uh, of marriage, if you will. How when it says marriage and wedding, what is it describing? Not necessarily say yes to the dress, bridezilla stuff that we see around us today. So if you take out your notes, I want you to write down three words very quickly. I'm going to give you all three all at once. Some of you are so excited. like, man, I thought this sermon was going to take forever. We move this sucker along. Covenant. Preparation and celebration. If you're online, if you're here, write those down. Covenant, preparation, celebration. This is a Jewish marriage in three parts. I'll give you a little time to write those down. And while you're writing them down, let me just real briefly explain them to you in sequence. Covenant. A promise between two parties oftentimes involves the parents. It's simply a verbal agreement. You two are now married. In every way, except consummating the marriage. It's a Jewish wedding. Marriage, that's how it starts. You two, you're now married. could be the father, be a parent, an agreement between the groom-to-be. It's the promise that this is going to happen. That moves into the preparation phase. And commonly in Jewish culture, it's about a year long where the bridegroom prepares the house, builds the house, gets the space ready to receive family. Maybe there's a dowry that needs to be saved up for, but it's a preparation period. Now in the eyes of the town, in the eyes of the families, in the eyes of each other, they are husband and wife. But they have not yet consummated the marriage. They do not yet live in the same home. Preparation period. Finally the day arrives and we celebrate. There's a great procession where the bridegroom marches through the village, all decked out, and everyone's following along as he goes and he receives his bride. And, and there's promises, and there's feasting, and there's celebrating. Everyone's been waiting for this moment. It's exciting. And finally, they come together as one under the same roof. Now, why, why talk about that? Marriage, believe it or not, is a very major theme throughout the whole Bible. Symbolizing and illustrating God's love for us and God's longed for love from his people. What it means to walk in relationship. And what I want to do is just quickly walk you through this. Okay? It starts at Mount Sinai where God comes to his people and says, hey, I will be your God, you will be my people. And really to unpack Mount Sinai, it's this giant uh, picture of covenant and promise like in a marriage. But guess what happens? Do you think they're faithful? Are they a good spouse? From the get-go, they start to drop the ball. God brings them into the land, but it's just... Act after act after act of unfaithfulness. And the Bible uses the word adultery to describe it. It's idolatry. They chase after other idols instead of God. But God describes it as adultery. Like one spouse running off with another lover. Against the one that they've been promised to. Let me read one of them for you. This is Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. This is God saying he's going to bring his people back to him after they've been running off with other lovers. Verse 19, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. That's marriage language. That's marriage language. God preparing a place for them to live together. Uh, Another prophet in Isaiah chapter 62, God goes and he describes again his people that have been running off on him and cheating and and, and chasing after, and God goes back and says, whoa, 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 whoa. My love for you and my preparation for you, it is just like a marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, Isaiah 62, I want to start in verse five. You can read ahead of that if you want. But just in verse 5 so you can hear it. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. God loving and pursuing his people. God calling them to faithfulness with him. As you can imagine, Jesus picks this up. In fact, Jesus uses marriage language all the time to talk about what it means to walk with God in faithfulness. Here's an example. Here's John 14. This is one that you've heard many times, but you were maybe taught to look at it one way. John 14, two through three. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you? I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. How many of you have heard that passage before, right? Because it's all about Jesus taking us to the good place, right? Right? That's what that verse is about. Jesus wants to come take you to the good place. Jesus is using marriage language. He's like, I'm a bridegroom. I'm going to go prepare the place for us, and then I will come and we will be together. We will be together. But the symbolism behind that is all about a husband and a wife preparing and Jesus proving his faithfulness. The Apostle Paul picks this up. I love reading this one to husbands who are having some issues. Man, husbands, I tell you, sometimes, if you've ever been in my office, I have like a giant broadsword up there. It's hard sometimes not just to pick it up and whack at the sheep. Or at least just to hold it in counseling. You know, like, guys, get it together. Not all guys. I, I, I apologize. Some of you are amazing husbands. I never have to do that with wives. I don't have to, wives, get it together. Listen how Jesus is described, men, and what we are invited to and in caring for and nurturing our loved ones. This is Ephesians five, verse twenty-five. Guys, you ready? Husbands, make sure they stay in. Their, wives, make sure they stay in their seats. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Husbands, you're to love your wife like what's the picture? Like Jesus loves His people and dies for them. And then the Apostle Paul unpacks this. You jump all the way down to verse uh, thirty-one. Verse 31, could you, Ryan? Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. He's saying, when you see marriage, God has given you a symbol of his love for his people. This that's, that's is This is the mystery. When you see a faithful husband and a faithful wife, you get a picture, a glimmer, a symbol of God's love for his people and his people's invited faithfulness to their God. Well, you can imagine as this narrative weaves its way through the Bible that John the Divine is going to pick this up because he loves symbols. And this is how he draws us into these climactic moments at the end of the book of Revelation. He grabs this idea of marriage and says, hey, you want to get what this celebration is going to be like? It's when you go to a great wedding and he comes and she comes and God celebrates and makes them one together. This is Revelation 19 verses 6 through 21. Let me read it for you. Revelation 19, 6 through 21. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Verse 9. The angel said to me, Write this Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, Whoa, 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 you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Verse 11 Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. Armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nation's. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. The beast was captured, with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds gorged with their flesh. Yeah, I'm going to that wedding. Eat what? Those are not pretty doves flying over in choreographed figure eights. All right, let's, let's not lose ourselves It it, it's doing what it's designed to do. It's it's grabbing a hold of you and you're like, what's going on? Like, what is this? How does this book start? Do you remember? The beginning of the book. The revelation of Jesus Christ. John says, I want you to see Jesus in this scene unfolding. This is the fourth time that, like a telescope, John has zoomed us in on the great day of the Lord where God makes all things right. How are we to see Jesus in all of this? Knowing that we're looking at themes and symbols, and here he's using marriage symbolism. Well, the bridegroom. In your notes, here's three things I think John wants us to get. There's a lot. Let me give you three big ones. Three big ones. The first one is this. Jesus is the true king. Our bridegroom here is the true king. You write that down and then look at verse 12. Verse 12 in chapter 19 says this. His eyes are like the flame of fire. It's an idea from the beginning of the book. And on his head are many diadems, crowns. Earlier in the book, false gods, false beasts, local lackeys, kings and captains from all over and their systems of evil wore crowns as they tried to subjugate and rule and reign and dominate the world. But John says, here is the one who comes with all the crowns. Here is the one who really rules and reigns over all things. How important is this right now? Imagine yourself a Jesus follower in communist China or North Korea. Or you've been placed in a concentration camp or a a reprogramming village. To get the Jesus out of you. How important is it to remember that Jesus is the true king? Yeah. That's good. It's a little musical. Selah. Think on these things. How important is it to remember in our country where everyone is vying to be your savior. Everyone is vying for your attention. Hey, I will help you. Hey, you need me. How important is it to remember that Jesus is my true king? From the beginning to the end, John is focused on Jesus as the true king. In the beginning, he's the lamb that's by the throne. Here he's coming on the great white horse, the victor over all things. Is this how you embrace and understand Jesus? He has many crowns. He's the crown over the nations. Crown over nature and disease. Crown over relationships over the spiritual order, every aspect of my being. We like to give Jesus a crown every now and then, like a token Christmas gift that you might unwrap out of a stocking. Jesus, here's a little crown. I'll let you wear that on Sunday if I don't have to go to Kroger's. Jesus comes with many crowns. The true king over all things. Another thing I think John wants us to see is that Jesus is self sacrificing. He is self sacrificing. In Revelation 19, verse 13, keep going through this description. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. I have certain movies that I like to watch repeatedly again and again and again. Stories that I'm slowly introducing my sons to because they're good stories. One of them, Mel Gibson's Braveheart, is just one of those. You're like, yeah, that's, that's good stuff, right? That's, that's awesome. Ladies are like, come on. Like there's still more Hallmark movies to watch. Um, no, Mel brave Braveheart. There's this this is in this these epic moments in these epic battles where here he is holding this giant claymore sword and there's no shirt. He's just got this this is a kilt on and he's just covered in blood. Guys, have seen some of these scenes? He's like, half of his face is blue. He's like, and everyone's like. He's covered in the blood of his enemies. Victorious. Jesus shows up, not covered in the blood of others, but covered in his own blood. Because victory comes by him laying down his life. In the very first chapter, Jesus says, Fear not, for I have died, and behold, I live forever. In chapter 4, the lamb stands next to the throne as one who had been slain. When the church proclaims him in chapter 5, he says, For you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God. Remember, some of you got married. Like, the garments, you wear a big deal, right? It's kind of like a lot of the thought kind of went into it. Maybe, mostly, probably, hopefully. I remember my wife. You're getting ready go, go pick out the dress. Go pick out the dress. And they're going to go off to the store and... You know, try this on and try this on. Find the, the perfect dress. Guys, expectations for us, let's be honest, probably a little bit lower. You know, g- try to look nice. Don't embarrass us. My wife wanted the ties and the vests to match what her ladies were wearing. It was like this beautiful lilac shimmering color. It was, it was elegant. I stood there in tails and white. It was, it was, I looked good. I'm sorry. <laughs> Garments are a big deal. There's entire TV shows now about finding the right wedding garments. How does Jesus arrive? How does Jesus show up to his wedding in a robe dipped in blood? So let's think about that. What's that word dipped mean? Like you, some of you have been to Christmas parties or Christmas gatherings. Like you take the carrot and you dip it in the ranch, right? Or you take the, the little meatball and you dip it in the marinara. I mean, that's, that's like dipping, kind of dipping, right? It's the same root word where we get the word for baptize. Some of you come from a tradition where there's a little bit of sprinkling when you think of baptism. Right? That's fine. That's our ranch bowl. Okay? As in, when we baptize you, we're putting you in. And we're gonna wash all the sins away till the bubbles stop. <laughs> this is what it means to immerse. Right? This is a literal translation. Not to insult other traditions, saying to baptize means to immerse something, to dunk it entirely. It's where you get, listen, it's where you get the words to dye cloth. That's where the word baptism comes from. To dye cloth. This summer, doing a little COVID camperee all hanging out in our backyard. We did dye-dye shirts, okay? You, you bundle them up and you tie little rubber bands and all these, and then you take the dye and you saturate it. So all the color soaks in and it's vibrant and it's bright. You immerse that cloth in, in, in that dye. Jesus comes and his robe is immersed and dyed in his blood. Because John does not want you to miss the fact that we are there because of his blood. It is blood that has given us access. It is his self-sacrifice that has made the whole thing possible. Never lose sight, John is saying, from the beginning of the revelation to the end of revelation. Jesus comes and we are there because of his self-sacrificing love for us. His blood Makes it possible. And a little bit after after the message, we are going to remember his blood as we drink the cup together. True king, self-sacrificing. And then the third one, grace giving. He's grace giving. Write that one down in your notes, please. The groom will spend a year getting the house ready, building the house, okay? He doesn't say to the bride, hey, get your butt over here. Let's get this drywall up. Let's get this painted. No, 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 no. He does the work. He does the preparation. He does the building. Jesus appears in this passage, and there's an entire army behind him. All of evil is amassed in front of him. All of sin, all of death, all of rebellion, all the systems, all the treachery. Verse 21 of Revelation it says this. 1921 it says this, "And the rest were slain, how? By the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse." What I want you to notice, We do nothing. We do nothing. I, mean, I, I love the big epic movies. Okay, I love the Bravehearts. Where you got the evil king up there, and his and there's all the good guys over there. I love the Lord of the Rings moments when you got all the and all the oh, and they charging together, and the sun's coming up, and the White wizard's swinging his stick around, and it's it's triumphal. It's all that's nowhere in this book. There is no great battle. We stand behind. Our victorious king. And he says a word, and all of evil is gone. Grace giving. He does it, and he gives us the spoils of war his love, his faithfulness, his kindness, his goodness. We don't fight, we enjoy his victory. This is what the story of David and Goliath is all about. I'm sure I've said this, told you this before. David and Goliath is not about you winning all of how to conquer the giants in your life, right? That's a cool angle for a book, and I get that. But you step back, what's that story? Where's the nation of Israel? They're hiding behind the rocks up on the hillside as death dominates in front of them and they can't do anything about it until what? The true king, the David, shows up and goes and fights on their behalf and sets them free from the oppressors. The image that John grabs a hold of here as Jesus triumphantly comes upon the scene and vanquishes all of evil and death and we enjoy the victory. The true king who lays down his life and gives it all to us. Grace abundant. Don't get, I mean, we're talking in symbols here, okay? There's lots of symbols, lots of symbolism. There's no cannibalistic moment in history to come where Jesus is gonna sit us down at a long table and make us eat dead kings, okay? John is grabbing a hold of the imagery of marriage. And saying, like a triumphal, victorious king comes in, we will join with him together. Well, this is this is you know what the, what the groom's doing, right? How about the bride? How about the guests? How about the rest of us? What what do anything for us? I I think so. I think so. It says in chapter nineteen, verse nine. The angel says to John, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited. This is a wedding, and you guys, you don't want to miss this. So there's a couple of things to write down. What, what's, what must the bride, what must the guest? And in this story, we're both. I think first is come to the celebration. Come to the celebration. Write that down. Be a part of this. Celebrate this. Anticipate this. Prepare for this. Come to the celebration. One of the many times that Jesus uses the symbolism of marriage is to describe God's work. And here in Matthew 22. And this is longer. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a longer section. But I want you to hear the story. Because it's going it's to kick you in the end. You're like, ah, that, uh, I don't like that. But don't miss the message. This is Matthew 22. Again, Jesus spoke them a parable. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. That's what we've been talking about. He sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, but they would not come. Again, he sent out servants saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. They paid no attention and went off. One to his farm. Another had business. While the rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. Oh, the king was angry. He sent his troops, destroyed the murderers, burned the city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads. Invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads, gathered all they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. He said to them, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. The king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into outer darkness. In that place, there's no weep where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Man, that's, that's a little bit of an emotional roller coaster there, isn't it? Like, I don't know, you called me and now you're kicking me out. What's, well, what are we talking about? Well, let's, let's realize who's invited? Everybody's invited. Everyone's invited. Good, bad, doesn't matter. Status or station. All are invited. But there's this exchange where there's this guy and he doesn't have a wedding garment on. And then the king kicks him out. You need to understand this. This is important. King provides the wedding garments, it's part of ancient Near Eastern custom. You're given your garment. You're not expected to come up with a garment for for the royal wedding. The king provides not just one, oftentimes two or three different garments that you can wear throughout the evening, throughout the week. The garments are provided. So what's Jesus saying? Why is he kicked this one person out? Because there will not be anyone at the wedding who does not want to be at the wedding. And if you're going to be at the wedding you're going to do at the invitation of the king, by the invitation of the king. Come clothed in the righteousness of the king. We know that to mean the sacrifice of Jesus. So I would say to you, come. Come. Jesus, you are my king. Jesus, it is your sacrifice. It is your blood. It is your grace. Jesus, I am looking so forward. Oh, I found myself just thinking that this last week. We'd gone up to Pennsylvania and I was just having some quiet time in the morning sitting in a chair. And yes, lots of things are, are, are great and good. Family is good. And celebrating the coming of Jesus is good. But then my mind just began to wander through all the narratives and the stories and the words and the episodes and news this and politics that and nation this. And I'm like, oh, this is so messed up. Come quickly, Jesus. I would say to you the same thing that Jesus does. Come Come. Guests come to the wedding. The second thing I would say is hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. The first one's really for the guests, the second one to the bride. Hold on and don't let go. Hold on to Jesus. What do I mean? In Revelation 19, verse 10, there's this little exchange between the angelic messenger and the, uh, and the author, John. He says, I fell down at his feet to worship him. And he said, whoa, 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 you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Don't get distracted. Hold on. Again and again, John calls us to perseverance. He calls us to hold on to, to run the race, to be, to, to be focused completely on Jesus alone. Revelation 19, verse 8, describing what the, how the bride is dressed and what she's wearing. It says, It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen. Granted meanings she was given her wedding clothes. Jesus Gives to the church loving grace. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints worked through the grace of God. Put on his righteousness. Work out your faith with fear and trembling. I get 2020. (laughs) 2021. Mm -hmm. Hold on. Fan your faith. John said, Jesus said in John 15, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. You remain in my love. Remain. You hold fast. So when are we? If the promise came at Sinai, and if the promise was embodied and, 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 and lived out in Jesus' sacrifice, and we're not at the celebration yet, that means we're in the preparation phase, Right? That means the invitations are going out and we're getting things ready. We're being faithful. We're not getting distracted. We're looking to that moment of celebration. Invites are going out just for you. There's no plus one. You don't need to come on someone else's heels. You respond. Yes, I will be there. Yes, Jesus, you are my king self-sacrificing, grace-giving. Until then, let's hold on. Jesus said there are two ways to build your life. A wise man builds his life on God's instructions, like a house on a strong foundation. For more teaching from this ministry, go to whoishouseontherock.com. If you don't have a church, please consider being our guest on a Sunday morning. Again, visit whoishouseontherock.com for more information.